podcast, Let's Talk. Politics. Yes, I try to avoid the topic like the plagues. Modern politics has left a bitter taste in my mouth, and it kind of sours my stomach. And I'm sure you can kind of relate. And I can only speak for myself, but a lot of my generation has had this same experience and would prefer to talk about something else, maybe the weather. So I thought, what a great way to spin the flow of the topic to a more helpful point of view. The scriptures have a lot to say about politics, and there's no way to tiptoe around it. And I hope this conversation is refreshing and brings a perspective worth focusing on. Let's start by defining politics in a classical sense and see how it applies through the lens of the gospel. Polis, a Greek term defined as a bound city surrounded by a set of walls. It's a word picture. Politicus are the agreed terms that bind the city together. A political structure is a group of people that agree to a set of values that govern their culture and the sharing of their resources. A political body is any group of people who agree to live by a certain set of values. Therefore, the movement that Jesus proclaimed was a political movement in a classical sense, but not in a modern one. Jesus is our king, the head of his body, the church. This makes us his institution, a body of multi-ethnic people bound together by Jesus as a counter to the ruler of this age and the systems of this world, often referred to as Babylon in Scripture. What is the movement that was proclaimed by Jesus? In Mark 1, 14-15, it says, After John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he began preaching the good news about God's kingdom. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe this good news. Then we see him calling followers, casting out demons, and healing as he went about teaching about this kingdom. He was announcing not only by what he said, but his actions demonstrated that the, king of God, the kingdom of God had arrived on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus talks about this kingdom more times in Scripture than any other theme in the Gospels. Fifty-one times he mentions it in Matthew alone. That's one time per page. And it is a central theme to why he came. A kingdom is simply defined as the action or state of a ruler. The people of a kingdom adopt the values of a ruler. So what are the values of God's kingdom? In Matthew chapters 5-7, through seven, we see exactly what Jesus taught to his disciples about the values of the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount, the upside-down kingdom value system. Contrary to the ideals of this world, are you poor and realize your need? You are blessed. The kingdom is yours. Are you angry? Don't retaliate. Forgive. Seek reconciliation because God forgives you. Do you have something to give? Give generously in honor to God who supplies everything. All of his values have to do with living a part of a different kingdom than the ones we live in. So much so, he says to seek first his kingdom above all things and he will take care of what you need. His teaching us to pray in Matthew 6.10 says, Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, it's about his kingdom coming to life through us today. 
In John 18, we see where this movement was headed. It had become a political threat to the powers that be. And Jesus wasn't proclaiming a kingdom that would be a a military force to set up a new state of rebels who conquered Rome. He was simply doing what the Father had sent him to do, to fulfill the requirement of the law so we could be a part of his eternal kingdom. In verse 36, he is on trial for being the king of the Jews. Pilate's job was to keep political peace in the region for, for Rome. Keep everyone civil and happy. No riots, no rebel wars, serve your gods, but hail to Caesar. Jesus answers him by saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. True persecution happens when you are a political threat, as we see Jesus, our king. Likewise, when we see the prophets of the Old Testament, seeing chaos, yet declaring the word of the Lord and his sovereignty. How does all this fit us today as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, but still living in the world full of earthly systems? First, our allegiance is to King Jesus and his body. Then, there's two extremes that are wrong. One is we take on full separatism from the societies around us. The other is just go with the flow, nothing is ever wrong, God will save us in the end. Then there's the messy middle. When we look at the examples of Daniel, Esther, Jeremiah, the apostles to the temple, and Paul to Rome, we find the answers. The apostles advocated Jeremiah's philosophy to live in the midst of Babylon, fully immerse yourself, but out of allegiance to a different ruler, King Jesus. Staying true to his values sometimes creates unity for the common good of society, and sometimes it creates conflict, in which case be willing to obey God and suffer for him. We should hold this disposition. If our current kingdom becomes a Babylon, I hope I'm not a part of it. We are to say, I'm here for the benefit of the community as an integrated citizen unless it contradicts my Lord Jesus' values. And we could be celebrated for that or persecuted for that, to almost be a part of the team but not really feel like it in reality. That's because we are living for a different kingdom, waiting for our king to return and set all things right for eternity. Things will get worse before they get better but they will get better and forever. Dear Heavenly Father, may your name be honored today above all names. May your kingdom come. May your will be done through us, your church. In Jesus' name, amen.